This is RMB's Data Analytics Podcast with Matthew Burnett, where we look at the insightful role that data analytics plays for decision makers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Data Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Bernath. I'm the head of data analytics at Rand Merchant Bank. And with me today, I've got Joanne Habich. Joanne is the head of data and analytics at Omnia. And she has some absolutely fascinating stories to tell from a group which is, is one wouldn't almost think of it as, as one that collects a lot of data. It's more of a, a manufacturing entity. Is that right, Joanne? Yes, um, thanks Matthew. Um, wonderful to join you today. Um, Omnia, yes, is a, is a manufacturing um, organization by nature. It is obviously in the chemical space, um, so we would define ourselves definitely as a manufacturer. Um, obviously, in that world, though, you're using data for the major part of all your decision making. So, yes, we've got plenty of data, uh, but we don't sell data, if, um, if, that's, you know, if that's what you're alluding to. Yeah, we sell chemicals um, in different formats. Absolutely. And uh, so, I mean, you, you've taken an interesting journey. You've been with the group for a number of years now. And, and, and really, right. you know, through that time, I think we've had this discussion before that you realize that it's not just about data. Data is almost meaningless without business insights and, and knowing what to do with it. So maybe talk to us a bit about your journey in Omnia and how you found use of the amazing data that the Omnia group actually has. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I came into the business um, pretty much in the manufacturing space. Um, so, um, again, it, it, we, we, have, we have many concerns um, inside the organization, but our, as I said, our main concern is manufacturing. Um, and you can use data in many different ways. But I think what's important is that data, um, at the time when we were collecting data, probably 18 years ago, was lying in Excel spreadsheets. It was collecting data pretty much for either conformance to make sure you were conforming to legislation or it was um, you were collecting data for financial transactional integrity and, and things like that. So, so you develop from that arena of being able to have data um, available for those type of questions into a, a more sophisticated like data world where we are today. And that's not just for Omnia, that is for most organizations where you're basing fundamental decisions around the future, around your risks, around your, um, your, your processes, your, your marketing strategies, you're basing all of this on different forms of data. And obviously, we, you know, data is now no longer getting you know, saved in, in, um, in Excel. It's now gone to more sophisticated databases. You have large amounts of data available. I think what's very important to remember is that data has to talk to you. Um, if it's not talking to you um, in whatever format it is, and sometimes like in, in our organization, they use myself to make the data talk to you. Um, but if the data is not talking to you, it's just lying there and it's, in, and it, and it's, it's redundant. So I, I think each company has its different way of, 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 of converting its data into a digestible package of information. Um, Omnia uses... Um, Obviously, tools, and we, you know, for, at this moment in time, we're using Power BI, for example, would be one of them. So, you've got monitoring type of data, but you have people like myself inside organizations that fundamentally put things together in packages of information sets which inform decision making inside the organization. That's where we are today. Um, you know, we've moved a little bit away just from collecting data for conformance. We use it in, we use it right throughout the organization now. So, and of course, we don't just use internal data, we use external data as well. 
Um, obviously, when you're talking to um, a company that is um, very much customer facing, um, like, like ourselves, you are collecting data around your customers, your competitors, your global um, entities that are in the space with you. Um, you've, you've got, you don't just have internal data that's of concern, it's a whole bunch of data that we use um, to inform our decisions going forward. So, yeah, that's where we are now. It's absolutely fascinating. And, and you really you, you used a word there that said your data must talk to you. Now, you know, you mentioned that people are, within your organization are using data from people in the marketing space, uh, finance, executives. Now, not all of those people might necessarily come from a data analytics background. And very much the way that data does talk to many people is through data visualization. Now, I know that you're passionate about data visualization, just like I am. How important has that journey been, the data visualization journey been, in order to get people to understand data and to understand what the data is actually telling them to do and to make that data decision useful? I, I, think, I think it becomes an, it comes so relevant in a space where we have, I don't want to call it problems, but we have questions that need answering. You know, we, we've come from a space where data used to just inform an income statement or just inform a, a balance sheet. And today we have questions around the business. If you think of the questions we had to answer um, in February, March and April, when we started to face a lockdown, which we didn't know if it was or wasn't, how it was going to affect the industry. If you, if you think of that type of space, that's where your data starts to inform you. So you, 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 you're building the whole time, you're building um, uh, stories and you're building visualizations so that people can take complex problems. Because if, if you think of the world of uncertainty, because that's where your data comes in, is, is, is in that world of where you don't actually have all the, you don't really know what's coming next week or the week after the week after that. So when you have data and it, 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 it's visual, number one, it, it saves a bunch of, of, of time from an executive level to plow through data. I mean, it, I can I can imagine um, being an executive needing to make a decision within the next week or so and getting shoved, you know, 250,000 lines worth of data. That that's not how this this is the world doesn't allow this anymore. It has to come in formats that are quick and simple. And visualization tools like tables, um, it doesn't have to just be graphs, helps to put the stuff into neat. Um, decidable packages so that you can get your head around the complexity of your issues fast so that you can make your decision as fast as possible. I think what's important is speed. Um, I, 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 I hear a lot of people still talk um, um, of models that take seven to eight months to develop. Um, in our world where we are, where we are problem or uncertainty um, definers or, you know, scenario um, depictors, you typically are working on weeks and we're not working, we're not talking months. So you, you've got to get your team engaged as soon as possible in understanding the data. What does the data say? Where does it get you to? And then you've got to get you've got to get the speed of the decision making relevant to the to the organization as well. So you don't get six months to respond in a in a in a in a in a market which is month to month changing. Um, fertilizer markets change in six-month cycles. Um, you know, the first six months doesn't look like the last six months. This year doesn't look like last year. But you, you don't have, you, you, you've got to respond now. Whatever's coming now has to respond now. You don't, you don't get six months to build models in our world. So, so I think that's what's really great about data visualization is it gets 
It gets the people on board that makes the decision. Remember, I consider myself a decision informer, not a decision maker. So it gets the people around the table into my space as fast as possible so that we can start talking about the business and not talking about what you're showing me. Um, and visualization gets you to that point much quicker than you know running through a bunch of data or having these black box models running in the background, which come up with an answer which nobody understands. The visualization, you can start at the data, you can go through the model very quickly, you can get to an answer so much quicker um, with the team of people around the table than what you do just using normal data um, summary type of techniques. So yes, I, I use I use data visualization, um, you know, every day. Uh, it's it's one of those things that um, that really makes um, your life difficult in terms of, uh, easier in terms of your communication of your of your results. Absolutely, especially to to an audience that that may find you know as you say trolling through large data sets. Um, not very intuitive. Joanne, within a manufacturing organization, where does your data come from? And, and are you moving very much to an internet of things world where actually all of your equipment and everything is, is connected online and connect, collecting data all the time for quick and easy analysis? Uh, Matthew, it's a great question. I, I, I think we are... Um, I think we set on a journey probably four or five years ago with the endeavor to land up in exactly that space that you're talking about, where everything is automatically measured, everything you know comes together, what's going on on your farms, what's coming on, what's going on in your in your manufacturing environment. The, the truth of the matter is, is that unless you are actually selling your data, this type of stuff becomes extremely expensive. So that you have to be really cognitive about what it is that you want to achieve and what it is that you sell and what it is that becomes just an expense. So, so, so what you don't want to be doing is you don't want to be building these empires of data for a world that sells fertilizer and doesn't convert knowledge into knowledge, for example. Now we convert into knowledge. So we have certain aspects of our business that we are collecting data, which we use as knowledge whereby we put together information packages, which we, I wouldn't say sell directly back to, to the customer, but it's part of our offering to a customer whereby we earn a certain price for our product based on that. But other parts of the organization is pretty much, um, it's, a, it's, it's collecting data sometimes automatically, in, in, in a lot of ways automatically. In other cases, it's, it's manual capturing of that, of that information. And I think at the moment, you know, it, 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 I think the, 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 there's a euphoric around, you know, everything just must be automatic. I have two concerns about automatic. Number one is that people's in they, 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 consideration of the data they don't watch it if it's automatic so you you can you can very easily get i wouldn't call it rubbish in but stuff that's not 100 percent in line with what you expect it to be coming into the system so i like that there is somewhere a human interface in the process of this data capturing and then the other one that i, I think is something we've got to be aware of is that some data only lives a very short period in your lifespan inside an organization so for example um uh, income statement related transactions they 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 drive your money they drive your income statement they've got to live inside a database for 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 as long as 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 well for as for as long as they can because you you will always go back to that but compliance related information things like for example your affluent in your dance or your your air pollution, um, that has another lifespan inside the data. And some, stuff, some information is for today. You need to correctively action today within the hour 
three days from now, that information is not important anymore. And what you've got, we've got to do is got to get that balance because everything that today is costing money um, and nobody's got enough money for all these huge amounts of data that, that's just lying around and not doing anything. So you've got to be very careful about what you're collecting automatically, what you need people to check, because as I said, stuff just, when you're collecting automatically, it just runs. Eh? It comes straight into the system and nobody's really checking whether it's valid or not valid or if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. So you've got to be very careful on the balance between what is automated and what's not automated and what you can, what you can collect um, and, and, and turn into money again. And I think that's very important to keep that balance. But for us, we actually got, we've got quite a lot of it now automatically happening. Um, we've got, we've still got some manual capturing that's taking place. Um, you know, it depends on how remote you are and how close you are to the, to the mother, you know, to the, to the big factories or the big ships. But it's what you call it. As I said, I think everybody, everybody's got to find his own way through this. I think for every industry and every institution, it's different. Um, I what you call it. I love the, the technology space um, in fertilizer and in explosives. There's a lot of really, really nifty stuff going on there. Um, but, that's, but that's in the knowledge space. That's, that's you're collecting data for knowledge. In the manufacturing space itself, we we have different we, we have different levels of 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 ca capturing the information and then of course when you're doing field trials that's all manual you know so you'll you know you'll be measuring your data in the field or you'll be bringing it back to a lab for measuring and you'll be capturing it automatically um, into a limb system but it's very much manually based um, but but it, it depends on the on the on the application Matthew. And, and and that's really interesting because I think you're quite right. I think when you have a human out of the loop and your system's just running automatically, of course, you have less visibility. And if something does start going wrong or if your data starts being captured or incorrectly for whatever reason, perhaps maybe the sensor becomes faulty, it actually can take sometimes a, a while before you, you, you notice that. And, and there have been some sort of data analytics disaster stories around that where because of the human out of the loop, and, and a faulty sensor or a sensor that became faulty, which, which happens. I mean, it, it's hardware, it, it, you know, even yeah, software can happen. And, yeah. and, and that happens. Joanne, you've spoken before about the, the power um, of, of understanding the business side and the fact that, you know, you are able to do what you can do because you spend some time in the business as well. You spend time on the sales side, you spend time on the manufacturing side. So you very much understand the business, you have the business insights and you very much understand what the business problems and the challenges that they face are. How important do you think that is to a data analytics team to, to have that business insight? I, I, I was thinking um, there's, there's a lot being written lately on LinkedIn around this. So it's, it's actually had that, you know, you, you think about these things when you read people's comments. Um, I think if you're if you're the person that's just working on the data coming into the system, you know, you're the, you're you're the person designing the databases. You're the person designing the first front of summaries coming out of a out of a database. I, I think you're okay if you don't really understand the whole business and all the business. But when you are advising an executive, I really feel strongly that you have to be, you know, very close to as good as the executive in the space of making the decision because you've kind of got to anticipate what they're actually looking for because a lot of the questions come to you um, in their problem format. We have a problem and you know, it, it starts with that. It doesn't really come to you in the space of, um, would you please help me to inform me so that I can solve my problem? You know, it's like kind of, it's, it, the, the question's kind of wrong. So when you're in that space and you know the business really well, you, you, you actually pitch your, your, your data and your problem solving and your, and your, and your communication back to your executive in a format which says, 
here is your problem. I'm confirming that this is where your problem is coming from, but this is how you're going to solve it because I've actually already looked at it. Because your information in inside in, in, is very is very um, it is very limited if you're looking at it from a define the problem uh, type of frame of mind, and you've got to put yourself into the executive's shoes. And so he doesn't really he, he he's actually raised his hand instead of got a problem. He doesn't want to say you don't want to go back to him and say well yes you have a problem it's forty million size. That's not really what he's asking. He's actually saying to me, bring me enough information so that I understand where to put pressure or where to put my energy so that I solve my problem. It's a kind, he doesn't really say that, but that's actually what he means. So, so for me, um, being, I've worked the different levels of the organization. I started off in manufacturing. Um, I've been through labs. I've been through repeatability studies. I've done field trials. I've done supply chain. I've done finance. and I've done sales as well. So for me, being able to be able to anticipate the, the, the question behind the question behind the question has helped a lot in, in narrowing down the scope of a project to actually nail the, the reporting faster. So instead of, you know, instead of going back with the model and saying, well, that's not really what I wanted, and go back again, that's not really what I wanted, I, I, I get that much quicker simply because I'm, I'm looking at it from a, manu a managing director's point of view. I'm saying, but if this was what I was facing, what type of answer am I actually looking for? And I use Excel, um, um, which is, um, I'm figuring out is, is one of those things you don't say out loud when you have a PhD in statistics, you're not supposed to admit to this. But I use Excel, um, I, in fact, I probably uh, abuse Excel um, in the way I communicate because Excel allows me to break it down into layman's terms. It breaks it down into something that's con con uh, conceptually easier to conceptualize if you're not in the data space. So you can build all these wonderful models in the background, but I actually present a lot of the stuff through a simplified model version in Excel where I demonstrate what it is I'm aiming at because Excel becomes an unbelievably good communication tool and it has wonderful visualization as well. But what happens is it allows you to break it open and to get to the, um, whatever it is that you're trying to tell me, you can, you can show them much easier than when you take this through these very black box type of model, you know, environments where you say, well, my aunt, the model says you've got to do this. What I do is I, I build a lot of plug and plays. So I get my executives to come and sit with me and I plug and play and say, if you do this, this happens. If this happens, this is, this is the cause and effect. So when exchange rates are moving or when the commodity prices are moving or whatever, the, the market, for example, for COVID-19 um, could have caused us to lose 20% of our, of our volumes at the time. It didn't, but it, at the time, we were worried that that was going to happen. What happens? Where is the... Because it's not just a volume impact. There's an income statement impact. There's a balance sheet impact. There's a, there's a whole bunch of impacts. So I can do that in Excel by modeling it and saying, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? So I find the what you call it, that business understanding helps... Um, especially when you're in the face front of informing decision makers on how to make decisions. I think that helps um, tremendously. Um, and, I, and, I, and I put my hand up for that. I volunteered for projects specifically in, in areas where I traditionally would never have gone to work, specifically to get that business understanding. Um, as I, I, I mentioned previously, I actually spent um, two years in sales um, selling. Um, I managed the sales um, uh, 
division um, in, in, in the central region. And I did that specifically so that I could really understand the, 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 the intricacies of actually making the sale. What is it you're facing when you're walking into that communication? Which helps me very much now today, we are looking at the marketing pictures and it helps me to advise accordingly. What are you looking for when I'm advising you in making your marketing pitch, what do I need to, you know, what do I need to give you? What's the type of questions you have in your mind that you're not really telling me? You're saying to me, I need to, I need a new market pitch, but you're not really telling me what it is that you need. So I use that. I, I and as I said, I use I use Excel, unfortunately, for that type of communication. Um, but it's fun. It's really fun. It's um, and what happens when you do that, when you're, when you're in that space, your everyday life never looks the same. So what I do on a Monday and I do on a Tuesday and I do on a Wednesday is just not the same ever. Not week to week, day to day, pretty much month, month to month, because I just follow the questions, which is really, um, which is really exciting for me. So. And, and I think you and I very much had it before, right? Excel is probably one of the most underutilized or, or and certainly underutilized, and also probably underestimated tools when it comes to analytics. I, again, you know, when you when you've got a when you when you're in my type of um, edu, you know, when you in your experiences, I am, and as you're educated, as I am. You're not supposed to say use Excel. You know, it sounds so mundane, but it, I I feel that um, there's been a big um, um, write up this last week on Excel losing the COVID nineteen cases in the UK. And it's because the database doesn't work and a whole bunch of people are now saying, but you know, why would you ever use Excel as a database? And there's a whole bunch of, you know, you know, commentary around that. The fact of the matter is that every company has a, um, has a way of doing things. And, I, and, 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 you know, although I don't think Excel is the best database, I admit, admittedly it's not the best database. The fact of the matter is if you're using any tool, you've got to keep your eyes on it. Um, you, you can't just let it run on its own and not check it. I mean, it's it's one of the, it's really important. But the way that Excel sets up and the way that Excel um, interlinks with data um, is 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 for me really important. So what I use it for, I use it for when I'm using lots of different sources of data, not just internal data, but publications. And I and I can overlay them um, into into stories because you know when you're working with something like a Power BI, you can only access the data that's on your database. You can't bring in other stuff from outside and tell stories from it. So Excel is what you call it. I, I, I think they say that of the of all the users in Excel, there's only 5% that use more than 25% of Excel or something ridiculous like that. But it's true. I mean, I, I think um, Excel is it's not an adding machine. Excel is not a calculator. Excel is a really, really powerful, um, I would call it a visualization tool. I, I, I really and truthfully use it to check my models. Um, I think the one of the greatest features Excel has is that random generator where you can generate data to check your models and to check your sensitivities and to check your, um, you know, the, how much variability can, can the scenario um, accept before, it, you know, the, the whole thing falls flat. So I love that. I love, I love the, um, the ability to, to randomly generate numbers inside Excel. I use that really often. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think everybody ought for sorts. Everybody will do his, you know, his own thing. Um, I, I, I envy some days people that give them six months to build a model. Um, because you know you can then use all these really really sophisticated very educated um, you know um, type of programming codes to do that I, I often don't have that time you know so I'm diving in I'm generating my data I'm checking my models and I'm, I'm, I'm running a two-week maximum turnaround times you know but as I said that's it, it depends on the environment and you know what type of um, what type of 
problem or what type of application you're using for. But yes, I, I but I'm, I'm a big Excel fan, so that's just who I am. So. And it's so accessible, isn't it? I mean, if you build a model in Python and the CEO says, just send me that model so I can play around with it and have a look. It's obviously not as easy as if you built it in Excel. And of course, everybody has Excel on their computer and everybody has some level of experience with it, even if they're a beginner or even if they haven't yeah. used it for 10 years and it's so easy to get to grips with. Yeah, I, I, think, I think if you're coming into a brand new environment where there is a lot of, a lot of questions and a lot of, I wouldn't call it trust, but, I, but what I mean is you're not, you're not, you don't have a good gut feel for what's coming towards you. Um, coding like Python is difficult because the executive still doesn't have any feeling. He doesn't, he doesn't feel his problem. He doesn't feel his solution. And I think Excel does that for you. You can, you can literally build it. As I said, when, you, when you're plugging and playing, you can actually say to him, change the exchange rate and see what happens. Change your volume, see what happens. Change the, see what happens. Then you're building up a gut feel for the environment in which you are making your decision. And that to me is much, much more powerful at the end of the day that an executive turns his his gut into a decision fast as, as soon as possible because that's how you get so you get the business to move forward so I, I i use that as i said i use it very much for that and absolutely i mean i couldn't agree with you more and I'm, I'm a huge i'm a huge excel fan especially on the data visualization side um joanne mm. my, my last question to you is this i mean you mentioned that of course you know when lockdown happened and over the past sort of six to nine months the, uh, the requirement for analytics that provided the ability to make decisions very quickly uh, was, was absolutely crucial. Do you find that within your organization that the lockdown and the turbulence over the last six to nine months has elevated analytics? Or do you view that you know, analytics was already on this path before the current crisis and was already being used um, to, to enable executives to make decisions very quickly? I think when you put an executive under pressure, he will go to his comfort. So a lot of, I think you saw even, and I'm not talking specifically of Omnia, but I, I'm, I'm talking specifically of the world. If you watch people coming out with decisions, a lot of it is opinionated decisions, not formed opinions. Um, because when you're going to crisis, you fall back on what you know. You you want your safe base, you, you and you fall back. And you, I wouldn't say you check out your analytics first, but you you kind of get panicky. And when people get panicky, they 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 it's coming too fast, you know. And they and they and they sporadically make decisions out of their gut, and then the gut doesn't let them down, uh, lets them down a bit. And then what you find is a couple of weeks later, it settles down, and now all of a sudden you get this surge of requirement for information. So my if, if I've got if my, my my experience was because I watched the world go into this panic, and you remember we were slightly behind the Chinas and the Europe's, so you could watch how they were responding, you could watch what they were doing, and how the governments were responding, and you could see it's panic, panic, and then it goes over to data and it becomes a little bit more structured. And I found inside the world of Omnia, we, 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 we were a little more prepared. We started a little earlier. We were very um, nervous. Um, I think everybody was at the time because we we're not really sure what was going on. But as I said, I think what happens is, is that you, um, and also what it was, um, if I could, um, we, we had a cyber attack as well. We had a, um, so we actually were systems down when, um, when we um, went into this lockdown. So a lot of the stuff that we were doing was coming outside the system because we couldn't touch the system. So that made um, modeling and prediction really interesting because a, a lot of those numbers we were putting in our gut feel. 
um, because we were really in a space where we couldn't access our own information at the time. But that was, that was for people like me, this is fun. For executives, this is just absolutely terrible. But for me, that's a fun world because it's a world of unknown. But I, I, think, um, I think there's an absolute reality inside all organizations is that data is the way to go. And I think it's a practice. So you will find that some executives only take decisions after they've looked at their, their data. You find some of them have got a split between, let's say, 30, 70. And then you'll still find the um, people inside organizations that make decisions out of their gut. They don't take data as a source of informing their decision. And so as time goes on, it, you know, that data literacy and that data maturity will come up come along. Omni has been on a path for a very, very long time on, on data. So we, we're a little bit more practiced, a little bit more in that routine of using um, data to inform our decisions. But as I said, you know, I think individuals, um, you know, they, they, they will change. Um, and as individuals change, you know, the, the, the decision-making patterns will change. But, you know, fundamentally, this is um, our organization is a data-based organization. Well, let's put it this way. It's an informed um, decision-making organization. It's not a, um, you know, a sporadic decision-making organization. So, yeah, I, as I said, the first, that first two weeks I saw it there, I haven't seen an increased um, amount of data activity since, you know, COVID has um, um, come and half gone and will probably come back again. But I do, but as I said, I think, I think that's got to do with the nature of our organization. Um, what you are seeing is in the world of data, if, you know, if you're connected to a couple of people, you're seeing there's a lot more awareness. Um, if you look at the amount of um, jobs that are advertised at the moment, lots of jobs in the data space at this moment in time. Um, so I think the world and the, and the South African environment is very much in tune with the fact that they need to understand their information or their data that they have. Um, but I, as I said, for me, um, I, I think we're pretty much, Omnia itself is pretty much where it is. I, I don't think it's necessarily heightened at this moment in time. Joanne, uh, fascinating and it's great to hear that, you know, you were already on the data analytics journey for some time. As you say, you've been working in your organization for, for a, a number of years on analytics and, and building a data-driven organization. And certainly you're one of the leaders in the field that we look up to and say, well, this is, you know, what you've been able to achieve in Omnia and we want to achieve it in our own organization. So thank you for that. And thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely fascinating insights from, from, a, from an industry that I don't think one automatically thinks of as being one that's um, data driven. But of course, when, when you apply some thought to it, you think that well, there's all these various inputs, um, you, you manufacturing, etc. It, it actually has to be data driven, um, because there's this sort of almost too much information there for somebody to be making every decision in every step along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think that's the case now probably in a lot of organizations that we don't realize is that um, there's a lot more data moving through yeah, the, the, the non-traditional data organizations that than what we think. You know, I mean, we know that the banking organizations have always been data, you know, they've always had a lot of data. Uh, but I think even in the retail, I mean, the fact that checkers and these guys have got cards now, there's a, there's a whole bunch of information coming through at this moment in time that I think is um, is an absolutely wonderful um, opportunity for you know people in the space to get into. Um, I think you're going to see more and more people doing this mining of information um, to try and get insights into their marketing, their customers, and they, you know, it's all got to do with where do I cut my costs and where do I make more money, you know, that type of thing. But um, I, there's so much going on. Um, that's actually wonderful to see that our science is developing and growing and getting used more and more um, as the years go on. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's only a few years before every organization realizes that they have to be data driven and that you actually can't have decisions being made off gut feel anymore. It's just, it just won't be good enough. That's it. Yeah. Good. I agree. I agree. Joanne, thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate your your time and having you on the podcast. It was fantastic. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to RB's Data Analytics with Matthew Bernath podcast. Subscribe now for more episodes.